Thank you, worship team. And uh, good morning to you all. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for making your way here this morning to Grace Point. If you're listening later online, thank you for doing that. We hope you're encouraged no matter what venue you're hearing um, our time here together. Um, many of you may not know um, some things here, so briefly I want you to know this. Um, I'm encouraged on a variety of levels. Number one, um, we have people at GPC who continue to um, show extraordinary faith, faith in the face of tough circumstances. You may or may not know. You were just led in worship by Greg Petersheim, whose wife is facing surgery here on Tuesday morning. Um, and to me, when things like that happen and, and men and women are able to step up and lead and serve, um, all of us in that context, um, it reminds me that we, we do this practice of faith in the context of real life and the struggles that we have, and we share that together with you. And I know the, the Petersheim share that, and we want to honor that and recognize that in you and support you all in that. Um, secondly, I'm also just honored to be a part of a community. Um, what Chuck uh, had mentioned here this morning is encouraging for me, uh, and I want to go back a moment just before I begin here on, on the, the morning's message, all the way back to 2012. Um, you may or may not remember when we um, began the Together initiative all the way back then in its infancy. One of the very first things that we talked about needing to have in this community is a place to house food and have a, uh, a place to serve as a hub for a strategy to how to um, equip our members of our community with not just food but also um, cooking classes, etc. And so yesterday, being a part of this event that raised enough food for probably about 50 Thanksgiving meals or so, to see that 4,000 pounds of food can come to a home. It can be put somewhere. And to think back and say, Grace Point Church, I'm grateful to be a part of a church like this that was a part of starting something and st part of helping to start build that building that now houses things like this. So, hey, I just want to go back in history with you for a moment and remember that, and it's pretty neat to be a part of that with you guys. So, here you go. My little moment of, of recollection, all right? Thanks for, again for being here. Uh, you have found us in part four of a series called Arriving. Uh, in which we are looking at essentially this problem that we have in humanity that always within us there's a yearning for more, the sense of there must be something better or a better way to do something, a call to kind of improve our own lives or a call to say there must be a faith greater than simply believing in my ability to conquer this world or there's got to be a better way to do marriage or a better way to do dating or a better way to do um, health issues, right? This idea that we are here and there has to be something kind of better over here and we just keep yearning for a home, a place that brings peace and fulfillment. Um, and that Old Testament word is really the study, uh, the word that we're studying in this series called shalom. And it's a word that is, in English, many translate it simply peace. But if you've been here for the few weeks now, you know that it actually is beyond that. It actually has to do with, with uh, fullness and completeness. And it has to do with this idea as we began the first week. We said essentially that shalom is this, the idea that everything is the way that it's supposed to be. That shalom, or the fullness of God, as intended, as God created, and we went all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that God created this moment in time where everything was as it was supposed to be. And that shalom also has a highly relational component to it. Meaning, you and I can't ever say that I'm at peace in a solitary way. I'm full and complete by myself. 
we relate both to one another, to our world around us, and to the God who created us. And so arriving, or shalom, or peace, has to encompass all of these things, that it is fullness, everything being the way it's supposed to be. Week two, we talked about this reality, and we know it, and some people call it mistakes, oversights, misjudgments. We call it sin, all right? And here's what we said, that sin is real, but grace is real-er. And we kind of, I made up that word to try to prove this point, that, that sin, and if you're a Bible person, you know this, after the garden and people were created, Adam and Eve were created in the garden, there was a, a choice to sin. Uh, Eve and then Adam broke this relationship, this fellowship with God. And, and what I tried to say in week two is that it is a grace of God for us if we can identify our behavior, our choices, not just as choices, but actually as sin. Because when we use that word, not that it adds a whole layer of judgment and punishment on our life, but when we're able to say, okay, the way that the attitude that I just had, I need to call that what it is. That, that was sin. Because if we call it sin, then it helps us identify this reality, that sin will always try to deceive us into thinking shalom is just a choice away. Sin will always try to deceive us into thinking there's a quicker way to get peace, what you really want, and here's the quicker way. Just like the serpent tempted Eve with the fruit in the garden and said, here's a quicker way. God certainly doesn't mean that you can't have all the wisdom in the universe. Come on, there's a quicker way to get all that you need. And so if we can identify our behavior as sin, it will help us avoid some of that in the future. Now, we also said because sin is so heavy, we need to understand that grace is even real-er, all right? That grace will go to the death to beat sin. We're going to talk more about that this week. Last week, we asked the question, not just kind of philosophically, do we, do we believe in sin, but we asked this question, how do we cope with the chaos in the world that sin brings? Because we live in a broken world, sin creates chaos and stress and anxiety and worry that just can, can really hit and lay and stay on us. So how do we cope with it? And we went back to our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, and we looked at how in the world did they cope with sin? Because my contention last week was how they coped with sin is how we can cope with it today. And one of the big ideas we talked about is this, that shame tells you to step back, but grace encourages you to step in. And so the shame that Adam and Eve felt essentially caused them to step back into the depths of the garden and to hide from the very God they needed when he came walking in the garden. That they tried to cover themselves with their own wisdom. They tried to cover themselves with their own resources and pull back from the very thing that they needed. And that is they needed to step in to the grace that God was willing to offer to them. And so then we have to ask this question, if God is the one who provides peace, and we've tried to make that case, how in the world do we connect with a God of this universe to find peace? If it's true that we're made in the garden for, for peace and shalom, and we broke that through sin, the question becomes, how in the world do we connect with this God to find peace in the first place? What does that actually look like? And there's all kinds of questions about that, all kinds of ways that people are going to say, how in the world do we connect with this God? And this morning, to kind of introduce this topic, I want to take it in a little more lighthearted way, all right? So if you'll indulge us here for about two minutes, I want to show you a clip of a conversation about inner peace, about inner peace and how we find inner peace. So a little more lighthearted entry here this morning. We're going to have a little bit of fun together, and then we're going to talk about how our culture and how our world sees this issue of how we connect with God. So let's watch this together.
Master Shifu! Hey. Master Shifu, what do we got? Pirates? Vandals of Volcano Mountain? Whatever it is, I will take them down. Because I am in a mood. I need to get something done, you know what I mean? Uh, what are you doing? One of Master Ugwe's final teachings. Piece of what? It is the next phase of your training. Every master must find his path to inner peace. Some choose to meditate for 50 years in a cave just like this, without the slightest taste of food or water. Or some find it through pain and suffering, as I did. Oh, the day you were chosen as Dragon Warrior was the worst day of my life. By far, nothing else came close. It was the worst, most painful, mind-destroying, horrible moment okay. I have ever experienced. <sighs> but once I realized the problem was not you, but within me, I found inner peace and was able to harness the flow of the universe. So that's it? I just need inner peace? My innards are already super, super peaceful, so all I need to do is just get this thing going. Inner peace, you're going down. Now show me what you were doing there with your feet. Should we pray and dismiss? <laughs> inner peace. All right, thank you, Kung Fu Panda, for the introduction. But isn't this, um, and isn't this what we can feel? This idea that I, there's got to be a way, right? There's got to be a way to find a connection some way, in some way, shape, and form with something beyond me. Whether I call that God or the inner peace in my soul, there's got to be a way to find some way to connect with that. And what I want to do this morning is I, I, I want to give you a, a, a metaphor or an image, a leading image to use to relate to this. Because here's what's so important to me this morning, is that as we think of peace and shalom, it is so important to me for you... Uh, to really apprehend and grasp this truth for a lifetime, that peace, the peace that I believe that you and I are both looking for, this peace is a gift from God. The end. We, we could just finish right there. This peace is a gift from God. It, it is not. And here's, here's what Kung Fu Panda at the end is saying. Um, all right, I've got inner peace. My, my innards are kind of peaceful already, so let's get this thing going, right? In other words, what do I need to do to get this peace. And the biblical concept of shalom and peace is that it is always a gift from God. It is not a result of what you can do. And that is a complete life changer if you allow it to be. Now, let me put it this way. 
let me use this metaphor to, to help you a little bit because the concept I think we get in one way, but this may help. I want you to imagine for a minute uh, high school sweethearts, all right? That may make you sick, but just for a minute, all right? Imagine high school sweethearts. Yeah, it's gonna, mm-hmm. All right, we got, we got a guy and a girl, all right? And, and they're, they think they're in love, and they may be in love, you know, I don't know. You know, time will tell, and we, we know these kind of people, all right? Uh, and, and he really is into her, and she is really into him, and their relationship is going really well, uh, and, and they just, you know, things are honorable and good, and, and they're just, things are going well, you know, with them. And they continue to mature and grow, and, and they get through their, you know, sophomore, junior, senior years, or whatever, together, and they start talking about, you know, what could be, and they've been together so long now, you know, in, in high school life, like three weeks is so long, but they've been together, you know, even longer longer than that, and um, they've been together so long, they're just thinking the future is just set together. We're going to probably get married at some point, but, you know, I'm going to go to this school, and he's going to go to that, but we're going to stay together because we, we love each other. Let's say the relationship is genuinely good. Now, one night, as they both begin their freshman year, and they're different, different colleges, or he's working and she's not, or whatever, but, okay, they're separate, and he, he just makes, just call it some bad decisions, right? and he goes to a party he shouldn't go to, and does some things there that he shouldn't do. You know, he cheats on his girlfriend. Now, she hears about it, uh, and it hurts deeply. Right? And she is like, we need to, we need to take a break. We need, to, we need to stop. Now, for him, his interest is in how in the world do I get her back? What do I need to do to get her back? And he may do all kinds of things. He may decide, I'm going to get her flowers, I'm going to write her notes, I'm going to show up at her door and beg and plead for, for a second chance. All right? I'm going to do whatever I can, but let's just say that she is resistant. So here's the deal. How in the world does he get back what he has lost? And the, the truth is, the only way that he can get back what he has lost is by her giving him the gift of peace again, right? No matter what he does, he will never get back what he lost unless she offers it to him. So he could carry on in a most honorable, loving way. He could go to work and make a million dollars a week, all right? And he could become the next whatever, Donald Trump or Bill Gates or whoever, you know, is the most wealthy person that we know now. He could make a ton of money, but he might never get the heart of his girl back unless she is willing to gift him the gift of a relationship again. And this, in many ways, is what the peace of God is like. And here's the danger for this guy in his lifetime. And for this guy trying to get, win the heart of his girl back, here's what can happen to him if she pulls back and she's resistant and she's not ready because all that she's asking for, let's say, is a simple, I'm sorry, I really blew it. Will you forgive me? And he's not thinking. He doesn't go there. He just decides that I'm going to work to show how faithful I am. I'm going to work to show how honorable I am. And people around him will start looking at him, and his friends will say, why won't you take him back? What a strong-working guy he is. What a hard-working guy he is. What a faithful guy he is. I mean, it's one mistake. And then his life will become defined by how much effort that he puts out to show people that he is truly an honorable guy. But he will know that at the end of the day, the thing that he really wants the heart of his girl back, cannot be gotten back unless she 
offers to him the peace that he cannot get on his own no matter how hard he works, no matter how much he attempts to get it, no matter how much other people around him reaffirm how good he really is. He knows when he puts his head down on the pillow at night, the only thing that will get the heart of his girl back is by her gifting to him the peace that he cannot get on his own. As we think about this problem that we have in the world, with how in the world do we connect to a God who can give inner peace, here's what's at issue. What's at issue for us and what's at stake for us is how we invest our lives now. Because if we invest our lives now as the guy who's working hard to try to gain the heart of our God back and putting up our work and our effort and our money and our reputation against God and saying, God, come on, look how worthy I am to have the peace that you want to give to me, all the while pursuing the wrong path and yet still wanting the peace that only God can gift to you. And so I want to talk about that this morning, the interplay, the work between how we work, how we try, how we strive and we want and we yearn for kind of for the heart of our girl back, for the heart of our God back, and the way and the method in which we do that. This reality that, that God gifts us peace is so critical and so important for our spiritual health, for our relational health, for our family health, for economic health, and everything else, that God is the gifter and the giver of peace and is not a result of giving enough flowers that you finally win his heart or making enough money that he finally thinks you're worth it or being faithful enough that he believes you that you're really this time not going to try to blow it again. That gift of peace comes from God, not as a result of the effort that we do. It is a huge category shifter and mind shifter for us to keep in tune. So as we look at that, I want to show you some passages this morning because here's what we know. That God knows this is our um, condition and our position, that we're going to yearn for and want the heart of our girl back, the heart of our God back. We're going to want to feel that peace. And he knows that we have a problem, that because Adam sinned and Eve sinned, uh, there is a divide between us and God. And he also knows that, that because of sin, um, something must pay for that, be punished as a result of that sin, so that restoration can occur. That's what justice does. Grace says, okay, punishment is due, and grace says, I'm going to cover that for you, but we're still going to carry out the, the means of justice. Um, in that process. And so here's what we know, that God knows that the only way for, for you and I to be restored to him and for peace to be gifted to us is for him to move and offer his son to us as essentially the peace that we need to accept. That what Jesus does, as a second member of the Godhead, we're talking Trinity stuff now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that in sending Jesus to us, what God understands and knows is that he has gifted to us a gift of peace and reconciliation to us. That indeed, in the Christian worldview, this is actually the only way, the only way to be restored to the kind of peace that we want to have. So let's look at a couple passages that really kind of tease this out and work this out. Two of them will be up here, and one I'm going to have you turn to your Bible in just a minute. But in Isaiah chapter 53, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 5, this is a prophetic literature now, Isaiah is writing, and he's writing about Jesus who is, is to come. 
And he writes there that surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And then this really key phrase, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That which brought us peace was put on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Last week I gave you a quote from Henry Nouwen about the wounded healer, this idea that sin will lead us to shame, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us, when we sin, we think, man, <laughs> time to hit Facebook. You know what I mean? Let me, get, let me post a picture of that on Instagram. Let me Snapchat my friends about the sin that I just did. I mean, how many of us, are like, I'm going to call my best friend, tell him I sinned. Hey, we're doing a Thanksgiving thing around the Thanksgiving table this, uh, this week with my family. We're probably going to have a time to talk about things you're thankful for. I'm just going to say, man, I'm thankful for the grace of God because here's how I sinned this week. All right. Yeah, stunned looking faces right back at me, right? Because that experience doesn't happen, does it? We report on the good things, right? We report on the things that make us look good, not the things that make us look bad. I mean, who does that? And so sin by default causes us to pull back into shame. And here's what we said last week, that that sin will draw us back with shame. But grace is encouraging us to step in because when we experience grace through our sin, then we can have redemption. And that's the power of grace, that the story of redemption is so powerful that God can take what is broken and fix it and use it and use it for new life. You can take stories of people who've fallen into all kinds of stuff and turn their lives around so that you and I see a tangible example of a God who is gracious. And by his wounds, we are actually healed, but it takes the pain of stepping into that and saying, I have done this, but now I'm going to be healed through the cross of Christ. In the New Testament, Peter writes about this as well. He takes the same passage here and he reinstates it for the New Testament. He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you and I have been healed. In other words, we've been healed from the shame that comes from sin. We've been healed from a future of hiding from one another because of our insecurities. And we've been freed from that shame and that hiddenness. And we've been freed and we've been healed by his wounds. But it's by his wounds, not by our effort. There's a result of all this, and I want to talk about it. And here's where I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, there's one in the pew around you. Uh, You'll find that red book there, and you can turn to the book of Hebrews in there. The book of Hebrews is in what we call the New Testament. Um, The easiest way to find Hebrews might be the table of contents, or if you want to start at the back of your Bible by Revelation, and then back it up a little bit, about six, seven books from the back, uh, you'll find the book of Hebrews right near a little book called James, Uh, you'll find Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, um, the author to the Hebrews, who we're not quite sure who that author is, um, some think it may be Paul and others, we don't know, but I I don't know who wrote Hebrews either. But the author to the Hebrews um, writes something very profound that is very, very helpful for us as we consider the question of how in the world can I connect to a God and how in the world can I connect to a God who can give me peace? And here's what he writes, and here's kind of the result 
of God sending his son Jesus on the cross for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22. And I will throw it up here on the screen. The font will be a little bit smaller for you, but uh, in case you can't find it or what have you, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, let's talk about this passage because it's so profound for us as we think about how do I connect to God? How do I connect to God? Let's begin at the beginning here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, he begins with this, we now have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, you should know that the author of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish audience, so these people would be very familiar with the Old Testament and all that comes with the Old Testament, the imagery of the temple um, and, and temple worship was very significant here. And so when he's writing, he says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, what that means, and some of you know this here, and, and some may not, but what that means is in the temple there was a place within the temple called the Most Holy Place, or Holy of Holies. Uh, And in the the Israelite worship, that was a place you only went to once a year. And as some of you may know this, that you would go there once a year only as the great high priest, okay, the priest who was the best priest, the MVP of all the priests, all right? He would go in there, and he would then um, offer on one day, the Day of Atonement, he would then offer to God in this most holy place um, the sacrifice that would, that would be uh, the atoning sacrifice for, the people, for their sins, for the people of Israel. It was such a, um, a, a holy place that, that here's what they would do. They would actually tie uh, like a belt with uh, bells on it around the priest, all right? And then they would also then tie a rope to the belt that went around the priest. And the reason for that is, in case there was sin in the priest's life, and he died in the presence of the holy God, they could drag him out without sending some poor guy in to get him. So this is a really significant comment that he makes. That all of a sudden, if you can imagine this, all of a sudden, if you had pictured God as a, a, a strong, omnipotent, all-powerful, sovereign, other, different creator of the universe who in a thought can wipe you out from the planet, who if there's one little area of sin, even in the best human being that you can muster, you put that person up there in the most holy place, if there's even just a, a little you know, sliver of sin in their life, that, that the holy God of the universe will, will kill him in the most holy place. And now the author to Hebrews says, now we have, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the most intimate setting in which you can possibly know God through the blood of Jesus, right? By the blood of Jesus, we have now been granted access to the most intimate place in which we can actually know this God and that we are to come not with a fear, not with a tie the bells around your your waist and have someone tie the rope so they can pull you out in case you die. 
the blood of Jesus changes everything about the game. It changes everything. And it says, you now can have confidence to enter a place that once a year, you know, when, when the family of the, the great high priest would go in, we're like, we hope we see you at dinner time. We might not. Everything good with you and God? I mean, they, you know, I don't know. We hope so. You know, you may not be here tomorrow because there was fear. Now, we have confidence to enter the most holy place that, that the God of the universe has invited us in through the blood of Jesus into a relationship with, with him. And, and he continues, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And so again, the idea that there was a curtain that would separate the most holy place or the holy of holies from the holy place, from the other part of the temple. That curtain, um, when Jesus actually died on the cross, some of you know this, that, that upon his death, the actual curtain in the temple right there um, in Jerusalem was torn in two and it was uh, ripped apart. And it was a symbolic but also a real reality that it was dividing and opening up the way to know God by the blood of Jesus. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, referring to Jesus now, and then here's the invitation, verse 22. Let us draw near. Come close to him. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that works brings. Is that what your translation says? With a full assurance that what brings? That faith brings. And with the full assurance that faith brings. Not the full assurance that your reputation and my reputation bring. Therefore, walk up to the house of your girl that you just cheated on with confidence. Not because of the flowers that you sent her, but because she has said to you, I forgive you. And that was gifted to you, not earned by you. Right? Therefore, walk up to the house of the, the girl whom you love and you wanted to be with for the rest of your life and whom you made a dumb decision, a sinful choice to, to walk away from in that moment and you regret it and you wish you could get it back because she said now to you, I forgive you. And it cost her something to do that. But she did it. And now you come to her house and ring the doorbell to take her out on a date, not because she said, you know what, you've proven to me that you really do want to make a lot of money and keep me safe for the rest of my life. Not because I really like tulips and you got me enough tulips, or not because you're a really good poet and you write great notes and you've won my heart back with your tender affection as a, as a man. But because I'm choosing, as the, the one who's been offended, to offer to you a way that you can come to me. I'm gifting to you what you cannot earn on your own. I'm gifting to you peace through the assurance that faith and believing that brings. And then he writes this, and th this is such a picture of shalom in and of itself. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't, want, who doesn't want the thoughts that you have been sitting on and wondering about? Who doesn't want the guilty conscience cleaned? Right? I mean, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what, when we fail and we sin and we step into stuff we shouldn't and we know it, we work to change that? Isn't that the way it works? Who, 
If I could offer you a package that would clear your guilty conscience forever and that you could leave and you would not have the weight of any failure on your mind or heart anymore. And would you buy that? I mean, how much would you pay for that? That you could know and that it could be totally gone from you, that your guilty conscience would be gone. And isn't that a picture of fullness and completeness? Having our bodies washed with, with pure water, meaning that the entirety of who we are, the complete being of who we are is clean. You are clean from head to toe. You no longer have to work to show. Right? You no longer have to be faithful to prove. You no longer have to be diligent to convince You no longer have to be remorseful enough to show that you really mean it. You no longer have to count the tears and wonder, did God really think, now that I really mean it? That this cross of Christ is an incredible gift of peace, and in fact, the only way to get the peace that you and I want. And it comes with the assurance that faith brings. It doesn't matter how hard the guy works to get the heart of the girl back, It will only come back when she says, I forgive you. I forgive you. You are forgiven. And in this case, God is saying to us, you you are forgiven. While you were still in your sin, while we were still in our sin, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us before we even had a chance to turn around before we even had a chance to say, I need help. And as we try to think, how in the world do I connect to a God in the universe to figure out how I get peace? Here's the reality. That the only way to peace is through the faith that comes through the cross. That the cross of Christ is this incredible gift of peace to us. And that our work, our effort, our diligence, our faithfulness, our favor comes underneath and supporting that, but never on top of that. And here's my concern for us. Here's my concern for you. My concern for for you is that you might waste your life trying to work to get the favor and the heart of your girl back when she's already said, I forgive you. My concern for you is that you may find yourself in a spot where you give such great effort to proving your faithfulness and favor, having a hard time accepting the reality that Jesus is the gift of peace to you, that the simple difficulty of believing alone, alone, without works, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by works so that none of us can boast. My concern for us is that we not spend a lifetime giving some great energy to proving to the girl that we are worth bringing back, but that we accept without any conditions that she's already said, I know what you did, and you're forgiven, and I love you. And this is the gift of peace that comes, not because of what you do, but because of who God is. On the back side of that, we work, right? On the back side of that, we're faithful, right? On the back side of that, we're grateful for the great grace that was extended. 
On the backside of that, we burn our lives out. We give our passions towards. We are motivated and driven by love for our God. Just like this guy would be motivated and driven to love this girl so well and even better now in the future because of her great grace. But it wasn't his work that invited him back into her life. It was her gift of grace to him. And then on the flip side, he loves, serves, cares for, protects, nurtures his girl for a lifetime as it is with our effort, as it is with our work, that we give ourselves heartily in work and love to our Savior. But we do it never to say, come on, I'm good enough now. I mean, what a joke it is. What a joke it is to put ourselves before God and say, God, here's what I've done. Will you accept me? When the cross of Christ has already done this. So here's what I want to say as we wrap this up. Neil Plantinga said this again, and I want to just highlight it quick. He wrote this, that God wants shalom and will pay any price to get it back. Human sin is stubborn, but not as stubborn as the grace of God and not half so persistent, not half so ready to suffer to win its way. That human sin is stubborn. We know it, right? We feel that. That's our experience. Absolutely. It is tough to weed it out, isn't it? Oh, you can take the lawnmower over and cut it down and keep cutting and cutting and cutting every week come by and cut it down, but to root it out to get under the surface and to pull it out from the root, that's a different deal. And that's tough work to do that. It is stubborn. And we know it and it sticks and stays with us. But the truth is grace is even stronger. Grace goes to the death to beat and conquer sin. And so let me say this in closing. So what? Number one, I hope that if you get nothing else, that, that this reality sticks with you as you strive and as you yearn and as you try and as you work, which all can be very, very good things to do, all can be very godly and noble to give yourself well and energy to your life, to your spouse, to your family, um, to make a, an honest living, great things that we encourage, all right, in proper context, okay, in proper understanding about where I stand in relation to God, that peace is a gift from God, that peace is a gift from God, that if you are, consider yourself now as someone who is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, it's not because God looked at you and is like, hey, in the future, you know, you're going to make like a million dollars. I could really use somebody like that. What will I do without you? Can you please come, you know, into my kingdom? Or that God will look at you and say, you know, you're going to be at church like 50 of the 52 Sundays a year. I really need somebody like that. You know, can you come out, come on in? Because I know you're going to be so faithful. Can you, can you come on in? <laughs> How in the world do we connect with a God? This peace that comes is not because he looks at us and says, hey, you're going to be something great. I need you. It is just flat out a gift from God. And so as you strive and as you work, here's what I would encourage you to do. And as a way to make this very practical and very daily, how about, how about even just tomorrow or even tonight as you go to bed, as you spend a moment in prayer, okay, as you spend a moment in prayer to your God, saying to him, Father, May my work today be in response to the love that I have for you and not the other way around. Or, Father, today remind me that peace in this life comes from you and will not be a result, will not be a result of me getting a promotion. It will not be a result of the girl saying, yes, I will. Remind me, Father, that peace comes from you. It will not be the result of my wife smiling at me or my husband smiling at me. Remind me today that peace will not come when my children call me when I hope they would. 
All of those things offer little pieces of hope, but they never satisfy. Remind me today that peace ultimately comes from you. And those other things I will pursue in right place. But remind me today, Father, that peace will only come through the faithful assurance of the confidence the blood of Christ brought to us to invite us in, to come near to God, that we can enter into the most holy place of God. Remind me today, Father. Remind me today that peace will not come because of what I do, but help me to work and serve and love as you would today and give your energy in great pursuit of godly things. Peace is a gift from God. Peace is secured through the cross. And finally, I want to ask this question. Do you know this Jesus? I mean, let's talk about that, all right? Do you know this Jesus? Or do you know of a religion, all right, a religion in which you think you have to keep some kind of rules, you have to keep some kind of faithfulness in order to be approved? Or do you know this Jesus? This Jesus who, while you were still in your failure and still in your sin and still in your shame, said, I don't care about that. I know it. I see it. I'm not ignorant of it. I see it all, and while you're still in your sin, I love you. I love you in your sin. I love you so much that I'm going to the cross to pay the penalty that you should pay. And I love you not because of what you can do, but because you're made in my image. You're mine. Do you know this Jesus? This Jesus who invites you into the most holy place by, the, by his blood says, come on in, come on in. Draw near to a holy, righteous, powerful God with confidence, with assurance of your faith. That the blood of Jesus bought that and brought that for you. Not the Jesus. Not the religion that says, until you meet the standards, until you're faithful enough, until you look the part, until you're consistent enough, then you're in. But the Jesus who says, hey, as you are, I died for you, and I love you, and I want you to confess, yes. I want you to own sin, yes, because it's healthy for you. But in that confession, you'll realize and you'll find that grace is stronger than the sin that you have. Do you know that? Jesus. And this is where I want to draw it down this morning. I want to have a time of prayer here to, to wrap this up this morning. I want to invite you right, in your heart, in your mind, if you don't know this Jesus who invites us to peace, invites us to shalom, invites us to fullness, and in fact is the only way to fullness, if you don't know this Jesus, I want to invite you to express that to him this morning. I want to invite you to know him. And to confess that and own that and, and, and respond to that this morning. And we're going to do that through a time of prayer this morning. And, and prayer um, doesn't ever uh, bring salvation to anybody. Prayer is an expression of what we feel, what we see, what we're sensing in our heart and in our mind. And so as I pray this morning, we'll have a moment in this prayer where I will invite you just in the quietness of your own heart and your own mind to repeat some language after me. And if it is what you're feeling, what you're sensing, what you think you need to do, then I invite you to, to do that, to say what, what I will say as a reflection of what you really believe or what you are, what you are trying, to, 
trying to believe and hang on to. All right? So this is the Jesus that we hold on, hold on to. The one who's come while we were still sinners and died for us and brought us grace and an invitation to peace with God forever. Will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that the peace that we hope for is not impossible to move toward, but is a gift that has been given by you through your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. And I pray for us, Father, that as we walk out our lives, as we work hard, as we play hard, as we study hard, as we plan well, as we care carefully and lovingly, that in all the efforts that we do, that you would help us to keep that right behind the truth, that our peace is not a result of all of those efforts that we make, that we'll never do enough to secure peace, but that peace comes as a gift from you to us, and our work comes behind that. And this morning, there may be some of you who don't know this kind of Jesus who has come to the cross to, uh, to die for our sins and to invite us into a relationship with God. And so if you're in that situation now, here is a time where I would invite you with, with your heads bowed and eyes closed still. Just in the quietness of your own heart, if your desire this morning is to respond to Jesus, to respond to God in this way and express that you want to know his son, that you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, as the one who came to secure peace for us. If you believe that and you want to express that and you've never done that before, these words may help put some language to your thinking and to your, to your heart. And so you can repeat these after me. These don't do anything magical for you, but rather they just put into language what you're feeling and God who is at work within you will do the work. So you can repeat these words after me if you would like, and again, in the quietness of your own heart. Dear God, I love you. I'm sorry for my sin. I know it is an offense against you. I know it's even an offense against what I was created to be. I thank you that you know all about my sin already. And that even though I have condemned myself for it, you do not. I pray that you would forgive me. And help me forgive myself. I thank you that my sin is not a surprise to you. And that you are a God who forgives freely and greatly and deeply. Today, Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ as the one who can save me from my sin and as the one who can introduce me to what peace really looks like, to a relationship with you, God, as my Father. Thank you, Father, for saving me, for knowing me and for loving me. If you have prayed that prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed still, here's what I would encourage you to do.
there are people sitting around you who know you and love you. They want to hear this from you. You have friends who you might need to talk to, parent you might need to talk to, a spouse you might need to talk to. If you're here this morning and you don't know any of those, you don't have them here, you know who I am. You know Chuck, who was up here earlier speaking from the front. We would like to talk with you this morning. Any of our elders, if you know them, would be glad to talk with you this morning. But here's what I'd love for you. If you are in that spot now where you've made that prayer a part of your life, don't let this day go past without talking with someone about what you just said and what you just did. It's too important not to do that. Father, as we wrap things up this morning, we come to a a landing place in our hearts and minds for our worship time this morning. I pray that you would remind us that you are a great God who is in the business of gracious forgiveness, who is in the business of loving that which many perceive to be unlovable, and that it is in this land, in this place where your streams of abundance flow, your name brings great strength that that we can say as this final song will say that we can bless your name because of that because of your offer of peace we we can stand in position of saying this is a god we worship who brings to us something that we could never get on our own we thank you father we have a chance to do that to worship you this morning in jesus name we pray